Good evening and welcome to We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard. And my name's Ed. And this is a quick start on the kickstart. This, as I said, is We're Not Wizards. And joining me joining me is um, Ed Jowett. And Ed should be no stranger to the show. He's certainly no stranger to me. He's been on. This is your third time I think it coming is. on now? Yeah, I think it's the third time. Yeah. Third time. Third time's a charm, as he would say. Um... For people who aren't aware, uh, when we do a quick start on the kickstart, we usually are bringing somebody on in the first kind of week, first couple of days of their campaign um, on Kickstarter, just to have a little chat about the campaign, have a little chat about what they're doing. Um, last time Ed was on, he was talking about um, he was talking about Era Ballum. This time he's on to talk about Era the Consortium. A Universe of Expansions number two. So it's a sequel. Um, so thank you very much for coming on. Uh, thank you for having I, me back. I, I always love talking to you. <laughs> it's always um, it's always good fun. It's always a nice little chat. It's always quite, you know. Um, I must first of all say that um, congratulations on uh, being fully funded already. Thank you very much. <laughs> um... I think I think I'll come onto this a bit more later, but fully funded is really only the first step in in this Kickstarter. Yeah. Okay. okay. Um, but it's it's definitely the first step, and it's definitely a a, a really good step to to start off with. <laughs> so um, you've been busy. You've fulfilled um, the previous campaign. Little kind of. Many many um, campaign books were popping through letterboxes all across the world quite recently. Yeah, post office um, staff were frowning at me in annoyance. <laughs> Did you make sure that you made sure that there was a lengthy queue behind you before you opened your bag and brought out the, the several hundred of copies? That's pretty much the only way to do it, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. I just then say. Just then, have a really long conversation with the post office counter staff before you even start um, going through anything. I've never done that, but I'll, I'll tell you, there are definitely yeah. people in the uh, Acton Town post office who are not massive fans of me. <laughs> they got wanted posters up. <laughs> no, have you seen the, but have there's you seen this, this random alarm that sounds whenever I walk in the door. <laughs> It's just like that. You've got it. Well, did you go in last week to get like a newspaper and a packet of sweets, and the folk were just glowering at you? Well, actually, um, I did go up. I did go up a couple of days ago, and and I just had one, and I walked up to the counter, and it's someone who you know takes a lot of a lot of them in a very good natured way, uh, and deals yeah. with a lot of packages. And I walked up to her, and she went, "Oh," and I went, "No, it's just just the one today." <laughs> <laughs> so there we go. So Ed Jowett. Scourge of Acton, post offices, kinda everywhere. You sound fairly upbeat. You sound quite you sound quite chirpy, you sound quite um quite happy. Was it um was it a surprise that the campaign kind of hit the first kind of target so quickly then? I I wouldn't say a surprise. It's roughly what I was expecting to happen. Um so I should probably explain a little bit of a history for any listeners who aren't aware yeah. of our previous stuff. I think yeah. I actually came on and spoke to you for the first time a year ago, is that right? It was something like that, yeah. Um, for the actual Consortium uh, Universe of Expansions number one. Yeah, yeah. 
I think that I was could... I think that was the occasion that got me on the first time. And um, with that Kickstarter, and I'm sure in no small part thanks to your listeners, um, we were actually able to unlock eight expansions to Era the Consortium. Uh, which was, you know, the the initial three, and then five more stretch goals met, which was incredible. You know, I I couldn't believe it. Um, the the support we received from the community in general was amazing, um, and it, it became very clear that people wanted to see this game happen. So you know the uh, you know the secret agents in space and the the fifth alien race and. Um, being able to download your consciousness into computers and psionic abilities within this sci-fi universe and um, time travel campaign which spans sort of 30 sessions across the first 150 years or so of the uh, of the history and then the um, revival expansion which uh, actually was the one that took us the longest I'd, mm. I'd planned for it to be 60 pages. Yeah. And I ended up delivering a 150 page book. Um, with no, maps, that's no mean feat. With, uh, with maps, with stories, with uh, a really in depth writing of the campaign. Also, with the rules that I'd promised about um, survival horror in that universe. Mm. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, we, myself and John Lewis, uh, my uh, co writer and co conspirator, very much on Era the Consortium, uh, we, we decided that we wanted to do more than just give five sessions. We decided to give five sessions, each of which broke down into three subsessions. Right? Okay. So, I, yeah, I mean, it wasn't yeah. quite 15. Uh, one of them was like a one off, and one of them only had two. So, you know, it came to about 12 sessions that we were doing. Instead of five, mm. you know, in this in this planned book, and then you know we got to illustrating the inside of the spaceship that everyone would be exploring, and it was you know we we really we exploded that book to three times the size we'd expected, and people sat back and waited for it. You know, it was slightly later than the published finish date of the Kickstarter. Then again, yeah. you know, is a stretch goal late if it's later? I suppose that's another question. Um, <laughs> it is. In, in my yeah. opinion, if a stretch goal is after the, you know, the the time when you said it was going to be delivered, uh, that is the overall project was going to be delivered. Um, in my opinion, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's late, um, given that it wasn't planned when I planned the the end. Yeah. Date, right. And I think there's a difference between. I mean, let's look at it this way. There's a big difference between you having to write an entire new section for a role-playing campaign than there is to say, oh, I'm going to upgrade these meeples from being kind of white to being green instead. So, you know, stretch goals are stretch goals are stretch, stretch goals. It depends on what the stretch goals are about and what they actually are will have a, a significant effect on the on the kind of campaign and the knock-on from them as well, you know, Um yeah, I've seen rec- yeah I've seen recently stretch goals that have included kind of um, um, order or uh, inlay trays, and then somebody piped up and says, "Well, is that for putting the cards in?" It's like, "Yep." Uh, so, what do you do if you want to sleeve your cards? And they were like, "Ah, oh, right, okay." So they had to go back to the drawing board again and redesign it to make sure that the cards that were fitted included the sleeves. So they had to pretty much go back to the drawing board. So Ouch. you know. 
Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I mean, as I say, depends what you mean. If you're yeah. looking at something, having to write a whole thing, if you're looking to have to man your whole manufacture, and in all seriousness, is there people? Do people really expect to have their Kickstarter bang on time nowadays? Well, I mean, I I can only speak for myself. Yes, but that is actually the first Kickstarter I've ever delivered late, um, and that was only the revival expansion that was late. So, um, I guess for me, the answer's probably yes. I know that in general, a lot of people do deliver Kickstarters late. Um, mm. I, 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 I'm a project manager in my professional life. I try to apply the kinds of things that I would apply to my job to these yeah. projects and, and sort of take it seriously and professionally and provide a, you know, a sort of professional experience to people. I think that's really yeah. important. Yeah, yeah. So, is, have you got spreadsheets? I I do have spreadsheets. I have a plan. Do they, do they have um, macros? They have macros. <laughs> um, since you mention it, um, <laughs> do, do they automatically fill out bits when you put bits yeah, in other bits? Yeah. Do they? Yeah, they do. Do they then when you fill in the dates and stuff? Does that automatically give you an, a a potentially kind of delivery date for yeah. the overall project? Yeah, and you can even put in a percentage <laughs> contingency. If you like, really? Yeah. Did you? Is that something that you kind of like design yeah. for work? Yeah, and then so home? yeah. I mean, the the thing is that inherently any project is always has very similar issues. It's always about yeah. time or budget or quality. It's it's one of those three, and resources are linked to time and budget, obviously. So if you can't get the people you need, it has an impact, and the reality is that making a role playing game is no different from getting a piece of software done. Yeah, it, exactly the same kind of stuff happens. It doesn't go as fast as you'd hoped. Something oh. goes wrong in review or or whatever. And yeah, I mean, therefore, the same techniques that you use in order to deal with a software project, you can use to deal with a writing project, which I find very convenient because yeah, I've been doing it for uh, almost six years now, so I've got a vague idea of how to how to manage a project. Yeah, yeah. Do you, um, I mean, when you're planning out for the campaigns, I mean, for people that have, you know, era is about, is, is basically, is role-playing, mm-hmm. you know. It's not miniatures, it's not worker placement, it's good old-fashioned, get in there, get some dice, have a, you know, pretend to be somebody else for a couple of sessions. So when you are kind of figuring out your kind of your stretch goals, do you look at something from a creative point of view, do you look at something when you're planning at the stretch goals to say, well this is going to be something that's going to require some creative, more creative writing to produce or have your stretch goals generally been about kind of, as you know you're you're not I suppose your stretch goals aren't really going to be I'm going to improve the quality of the book you get, I I guess I I would like to think that that would be an extremely difficult stretch goal to achieve um What what I generally try to do with stretch goals is give people something more that doesn't cost a massive amount to produce. Yeah. Um, because with role playing games in particular, your profit margin is not big. You know, no. you, uh, if you get a thousand people on board, it doesn't actually affect the book's cost that much. It does a bit, but not a massive amount, and it. It sort of it means you still have more work to do. So, what what I try to do is um, sort of uh, 
a, a doing present, as it were. Um, you know, I'll go away, I'll write a campaign, or I'll go away and I will, uh, you know, get some, maybe some more artwork done, or I'll put together some stuff that's sort of a bonus pack that no one's seen before. And, and I try to give people something that gives them a little bit of an extra experience that no one else will get, rather than sort of a, something like, a, uh, you know, like, oh, I'm going to add miniatures to this project suddenly. Yeah. Uh, which, has, it bec- uh, has it become easier to write stretch goals as you've got into more campaigns? Or has it become more kind of difficult? Do you try and challenge yourself to do something completely different? Every time. It depends a lot on the campaign, to be honest. Um, so, I mean, the one that we're in now, Era the Consortium, A Universe of Expansions 2, mm-hmm. and Era Balam were both very, very different challenges. Um, yeah. Era Balam, I went for stretch goals which featured uh, bonus campaigns, mm-hmm. uh, which would be written by various people. Now, unfortunately, we didn't actually even unlock any of those. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, sadly, uh, none of those got written. Um, with Era the Consortium, uh, both this one and the last one I spoke to you about on Era the Consortium, mm-hmm. the intention has always been to meet some stretch goals. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I constructed this with three expansions guaranteed. Um, Free Trader, Predictive Genetic Algorithm, uh, not home base, it's, um, I do know my own expansions, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> it's New Worlds. Um, you know, uh, Goodness those sake, three yeah. will be available, you know, to everyone because it's funded. So anyone who pledges £10 or more gets those in digital. You know, the higher tiers get you stuff in physical books instead. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then what the next stretch goal will mean is that I provide the fourth chapter of the time travel campaign to every backer. And then the next stretch goal after that is home base, which I mentioned by mistake a minute ago. Um, yeah. Home base will go to every backer, right? And then after that, there's another campaign called the Sirona Specials, which will go to every backer, and so on and so on and so on. So every single time that we actually meet a stretch goal, every backer gets more. They actually get more books out of it. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, your, your £10 pledge becomes, instead of being worth three books, in the case of the last uh, Kickstarter, it became worth eight books. You know, that's got a combined RRP of somewhere around the £80 mark now. £60, £80. Yeah. uh, For those books, you know, uh, that people just got for ten. Which I think is a good deal, you know, and I think that people who come onto a Kickstarter, who support that Kickstarter, deserve to have a bonus, you know, uh, some reward for believing in a project. And and that's really what Era the Consortium's Kickstarter is all about. It's about saying thank you to the people who believe in this project, who are the early adopters who want to see a new sci-fi universe that offers something that is a little different to what's ever been seen before. So, this Kickstarter, what 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 is it about for people that haven't stepped into the universe before? What can they expect? What what are they expecting when they um, when they jump into the consortium universe? 
Okay, so Era the Consortium <clears throat> offers 500 years of playable history. Now that sounds like a lot, instantly, mm. right? Mm. Um, now to anyone who feels a bit intimidated by that, this 500 years of history is a framework. It's designed not to give, you know, oh, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and yeah. everything is essentially the same thing. What this is, is the different subgenres of sci-fi are available by dropping in in certain years of Era the Consortium. For example, if you want to play a, a game about colonizing new planets, you know, exploring worlds and so on, you drop in near mm. the start. You know, if you're a Star Trek fan and you really want to have a, a sort of an I-can't-believe-it's-not-Star-Trek RPG, yeah, you can drop into the start... You can drop into the start of the history, and okay. you can, you know, you can experience this this first set of colonization. You know, if you then want to do something that's maybe a bit more uh, sort of war, you know, you want to do a sci-fi war against an alien species intent on wiping us out. Um, yeah. You know, you drop in a little later in the history. You want to mm. do uh, transhumanism or cyberpunk. You drop in in different places in the history. You want to do something that's a bit Star Wars-esque. You know, um, the resistance fighting against the evil government, which is sort of a totalitarian regime. You know, you drop in near the end of the history. And all of these things offer the opportunity to do different sort of subgenres, different stories within the sci-fi universe. The thing is that this means, A, that you only need to get one sci-fi game in order to do all of these different things. Yeah. B, you have the opportunity to not only sort of play someone in one location in the history, you can then hop back or forward and play an ancestor or descendant of the same character and find out, you know, how someone with essentially a very similar personality reacts to a totally different situation. Because when you're, you know, when you're defending against an alien race that's bent on your destruction, you're quite likely to act in a very different way to when you think you're fighting against the totalitarian regime within your own mm -hmm. society. But you mm -hmm. can have a very mm -hmm. similar sort of, um, very similar sort of mindset, a very similar to, very similar character, and you can find that you know these these two characters act in very different ways because of the situation they're in more than who they are. Do you um do you have everything laid out in like a timeline? Yeah. Are you able to know exactly where everything is yep. and who's in who's in charge, who's not in charge and I mean how many I mean, do you keep things open like the number of different systems that there are, the planets, or do you kind of rein people in to that? So what what I wanted to do was to give a structure and make sure that everyone understood, you know, what to do if people go off track. Because if you change history, yeah. the future can look very different. Mm -hmm. So what I've laid it out as, is I've laid it out as a sort of a framework, right? These events happen at these times, you know, at this point a wormhole is discovered to the next system, right? Um, at this point, another wormhole is discovered that leads to a third star system. Yeah. And so on and so on and so on. So there's, you know, there, there are sort of a limit to the number of systems you can access at any time. Mm -hmm. um, there's a limit to the technology that's available at any time um, you know so the older periods don't have quite such advanced technology 
war is certainly the mother of invention. That that is definitely a theme that comes up. Yeah. Um. But um, you know, the the idea is that you can uh, you can leap into the right place and then know exactly what's accessible and what isn't, rather than trying to figure out. Oh well, I don't really want them to go into that third system yet because yeah. in this. At this point in the timeline, this alien race will own it, and you know they'll just get crushed. So rather than that, what I've done is I've said, okay, here's where the event happens, and if you're happening before that, you know you're not even going to experience this chunk of the universe yet. Okay. So they've got a point of reference, and they can go in. In terms of the technology, I mean, is it a? Uh, do you kind of take the? I think the what does it say that Philip Pullman I think said that he says um, um, he says something like steal like a butterfly right like a bee so he's basically you take kind of influences from different places and then f- effectively kind of kind of make it your own I mean is it are you the type of kind of writer that when you're putting together the scenarios when you're putting together things like the weapon weaponry or the transportation do you just accept that listen, this is going to be very, very much like how a Star Destroyer gets around, or you've mentioned Star Trek, so this is how much the you know, the ships that we're doing are going to fly very much like the Enterprise, the ship you know, the ships that we're doing are going to be you know, very, very much like a Battlestar Galactica kind of um, base link yeah, base ship or something or do you strive to do kind of completely different type of technologies or is it really difficult to do that? I mean, have because there's so many kind of sci-fi shows out there is it difficult to come up with like a different type of technology without somebody saying, "Oh, you're just doing what they've done on the Expanse, for instance, or you're doing what they've done in Battlestar Galactica," or do you just accept it and just say, "I'm going to write it and just get it down there and let people play with it how they want to"? What um, that's that's a very good question because yeah, you're right. There are so many things out there that do things in different ways or similar ways or whatever. I mean, Star Wars and Babylon Five effectively have the same thing, right? Yeah. Um, uh, you know, Star Trek is probably one of the more unique on its own. Um, you know, the, what do you think? Of, what did you think of Babylon Five, Ed? Just I, as a quick aside, did uh, you like it, or did aside, you think? I like Babylon Five very much. I'm very impressed with the level of integrity that the continuity shows. Yeah, you can see that um, when it was written, he really, really cared. He really, really was... cared about that continuity and making sure that this story made sense from beginning to end as a cycle. Yeah, yeah. I think that was. I think that's one of the things that it was written all by the same guy. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. So it was like that was that was one thing that was fine. But I think it's it's funny because at the time it was kind of, uh, I guess they took the Mickey out of it for being kind of like the poor man's. Kind of Star Trek, which was a yeah. bit, which was kind of like a bit strange. Um, yeah, well, um, Star Trek possibly stole their scripts a little bit and made Deep Space Nine, um, <laughs> in case <laughs> no one noticed. Uh, it sounds like you're saying that behind kind of some semi-gritted teeth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, well, um, let's let's move on past that, shall we? <laughs> Um, so, I mean, the way I do it is um, I do try to ke- uh, I try to keep a sense of scientific realism behind a lot of what I'm doing, which yeah. does somewhat separate me from things. Um, the only interstellar travel, for example, is via wormhole. Um, right, okay. And there is a very good reason why there are a number of wormholes in this region of space 
that I've not entirely explained yet. That's something that's going to come later. Okay. Um, but apart from that, you know, the the original colony ship travels for a little over a thousand years in order to mm. actually get to this region of space. Uh, launched from all right. Earth all the way for a thousand years, different region of space, very, very far from any influences of humanity. Um, and, uh, you know, the then after that, you know, the, the fastest anyone actually travels in the era of the Consortium universe so far, not including wormholes, is about one-eighth of the speed of light. Right, okay. Which is not very fast. Uh, it's no. roughly two weeks to cross the solar system. Uh, our solar system, as an example. Yeah. Um... Uh, that like that is country drive. planetary solar system rather than out to the Oort cloud or anything. So oh, it's 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 uh, you know it's it's slow, um, deliberately so. Um, but did you want did you want people to kind of um, have kind of concentrated goodness in one area because it's you know it's very very easy. I mean, if you take it on a video game side of things, if you're playing like say Elite Dangerous or Mass um, Effect or something, No like Man's that. Sky. You know, if you don't like something, you can just head off and, you know, couple of, you know, couple of, you know, 10, 15, 20 light years away kind of thing almost instantly and discover a completely different planet. Have you tried to kind of limit that so people are kind of playing around in the relatively kind of local backyard kind of universe then? That's not why I've limited it, although it does have that effect. Um uh-huh. What I wanted to do was make it clear to a lot of people how big space really is, right? I think, I think that's something that really struck me through my own studies. I I um, studied astronomy at university. Oh, really? um, okay. And one of the things that struck me was how big space was, and sci-fi never made me feel like space was that big. You know, uh, traveling traveling weeks between planets. You know, uh, it it it's a long period of time. Uh, now I say that, but perhaps Firefly, perhaps Firefly, indicated that in in some places. Yeah. Um, uh, you know that how far it is, how far out you can be from things. You know, just going between planets. Okay. Um, okay. But I, you know, I I found that you know that was something that a feel that I wanted to maintain. Uh, that it's a long way to go somewhere else. You know, you're you're talking about a month's journey to go across the consortium, and that's assuming you're pretty lucky. Uh, it depends yeah. on orbits and so on. Um, okay. So yeah, so you... I mean, to me, that was a factor I wanted in there. I I put it in. I put the restricted speed in there for that reason. Of course, that also let me do um, a, a little story point in the in the book. Where actually a giant ship, nearly as big as the colony ship that originally travelled, actually mm-hmm. flies off to the nearest solar system, and it takes forty years to get there. You know, it's, it's a generational ship that's deliberately intended to be because it takes forty years to get there. They stay there eleven years and forty years to get back. That's that's big space, Ed. And that's that's the nearest star system. Yeah. You know, it's 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 a long way. So, do you? I mean, is is that what you're trying to bring with the kind of the era stuff? Then, as you try to say, well, actually, let's be a bit realistic and let's not be kind of Star Trekky or Star Wars. There's not going. Let's face it. I don't think it sounds to me that there's going to be a, a Kessel Run <laughs> um, version 
in kind of era no. with a millennium with a millennium falcon kind of shooting about the galaxy from one place to another certainly kind of not although you know there's certainly scope for it sort of inside a solar system the the oh. castle run thing was that he was dumb enough to get too close to a to a set of black holes known as the moor um right. and that's how come it's uh that's how come a distance is listed rather than a length of time because uh he was dumb enough to get close <laughs> So he, he cut in closer than anyone else dared, managed to get through, and therefore he managed it in a shorter distance than anyone else could do it. Um, so, I mean, in the same way, yeah, if you decide to skirt the atmosphere of a gas giant and risk getting sucked down it, that could definitely exist. But certainly shooting across the galaxy to another solar system, it's not going to happen quickly, not unless you find a, a wormhole all on your own. Well, but um, kind of... Uh, you're obviously there's going to be kind of combat taking place. I mean, do you, I mean again? Are there lasers? Are you have phasers? Have you got rockets? Have you got kind of anti grav beams? It, are do you have tracking beams? Can you pull ships in and things like that as well? Uh, there are no tractor beams, at least yeah. not explicitly stated yet. All right, okay. Um, oh, there is yet. gravity control though. So I yeah. would say that it's logical they could be invented. However, the the really good gravity control has only just appeared with the um, fifth race. Right, okay. Uh, because they happen to be experts in gravity control. Um, so, uh, tractor beams, I would say, I'm not ruling out. There are lasers. Um, they were only invented 150 years in. Right, okay. Um, after first contact with the first alien race. And they helped sort of finish off the issues and, and weaponize it. There are even plasma weapons, which again uh, appear in the Fifth Race expansion. Um, the vast majority of uh, of weaponry, ship-to-ship weaponry, is oh. um, railgun-type weapons called strikes. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, um, okay. Which, uh, yeah, they, they use uh, sort of electromagnetic projectiles... Pass, uh, sorry, magnetic projectiles pass them through an electromagnetic field to accelerate them, and then they become extremely unpleasant to whatever happens to be sitting at the other end. You've figured all this out, haven't you? You've actually sat there and figured all this out. You've not just went, we'll have a quargle beam, and what does that do? Well, it turns everything green and it puts their atoms <laughs> within, you know, 3,000 miles of, you know, you spread yourself out over a long period of time. Well, what does that do? Well, it gives you um, an allergic reaction to cheese and then <laughs> turns you actually into cheese itself, so you I die really, by I being really allergic to I really want to, to add yourself. a beam to my game now. <laughs> <laughs> Quargo beams will be fantastic. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I mean, um, th- there's a basis of scientific reality uh, sort of in, ev- in everything I try to do. Um, there hmm. are a few sort of slightly odd things. Um, there's a weapon in particular called Kaladvolg. Um which um, it actually destroys living tissue, organic molecules, um, and, uh, and, and leaves a lot of inorganic stuff intact. And that's sort of a, a, a weapon of last resort that is brought into play at the climax of the core rulebook. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, you know, it's, it's, it's very nasty. Um, it's also used during the core rulebook to wipe out an entire planet of uh, a particular species who they are worried are going to retaliate for a war. So there's there's some darkness in there. 
Um, and there are definitely some things which are maybe a bit more exotic. But the majority of the stuff you'll come across is is reasonably scientifically explainable. And that's, you know, I, I wanted to make a hard sci-fi game. Now that mm-hmm. said, um, that is Era the Consortium. It is certainly not true for some of the other stuff I'm doing. I'm working right now on... Excuse me. I'm working right now on a game called Era Atlantis. Where you literally call the gods for help... And various unpleasant things will happen to the people around you. Such as lightning randomly striking the area. Is that scientifically explainable? Not really, but it's a fantasy <laughs> game. So you're going to the fantasy. Is this... Okay, being scientifically minded, are you going down the line of when you're doing stuff, is a part of the the edge-out brain battling with the edge-out imagination to say... Well, you could just have, you know, big huge snakes coming out of the ground with skeletons riding on them. And you're like, no, <laughs> no, snakes don't come out of the ground. That's never going to happen. <laughs> They'll come down from trees instead. That's okay, I'm accepting that, right? <laughs> what about the skeletons? Oh, they're just fantasy, it's fine. Do you have that kind of little bit of a... I, I do, actually. Um, my, my absolute worst one is steampunk. I really, oh, right. really struggle with steampunk. It's It's just me... You know, it, it, I, I have a problem with steampunk. It just feels unrealistic to me in principle. Um, and I really struggle with it. But in terms of fantasy... Um, Are you I, just letting yourself go a bit? Yeah, I mean, I, I let myself go a bit. Um, you know, Era the Empowered, our superhero game, um, yeah. which is also the core rulebook is, is sort of being finished off. Um, again, you know, you, you get people who can randomly heal other people at a distance using some kind of energy beam. Okay, well, we'll hand wave that. It just works. All right, and, and moving on now. Um, <laughs> You've just had an internal struggle. Uh, you can see that I can... It's like Luke in Return of the Jedi. You know, I can sense the good in you. I can sense the conflict. So you're <laughs> <laughs> just going, well, you know, maybe that's right. Maybe he's a kind of giving positive electromagnetic, you know, energy to this yeah, other person yeah. that's causing the, you know... <laughs> That's causing the immune system to kick in, and it could maybe be speeding up heat healing. Oh no, my brain's melted. <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah, but. I mean, I, I, I have. Um, I, I should say that all of the era games are from Era the Consortium, Era Liars, the low fantasy storytelling one where you pretend yeah. to be adventurers and you aren't really. Um, you know, to Era the Empowered, Era Survival. Um, we've got Era Silence. Um, that they're, they're all to some degree just about scientifically explainable or at least hand waveable. Okay. Um, you know, uh, for example, the the uh, lightning that I I mentioned in Era Atlantis. Well, perhaps you're underwater and you just every single time you happen to go, oh great Zeus, strike the water with lightning. There just happens to be a lightning storm overhead. It becomes increasingly unlikely. As you do it more and more, but it's just about, just about believable. Well, I don't know. You could explain potentially increased ionisation in the water yeah, might have could. an effect on it. Yeah, I'm just being slightly scientific, yeah, and then you, could. you know a build up of build up a high pressure uh, area. Yeah, I mean, if you if you have the ability to sort of modify the electrical fields around you, then yes, you could potentially cause lightning strike. So, yeah, I mean, there, there, there are ways... <laughs> it's totally explainable. There are ways around There are it. ways of explaining this stuff. And, <laughs> and I feel there has to be, B, 
because they all exist in the same universe. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't pick up one game on its own and play it for exactly what it is and not care about any meta plot that may or may not exist. Uh, mm-hmm. Or, I should say, any meta plot that exists. Um, my plan, slightly longer term, is actually to link all of these games together and explain how they're all linked and where those links lie. Um, but I'm not quite there yet. I'm probably two years out from that, uh, give or take. So you got a plan for the next kind of? Of course you have. Oh you? yeah, you've got everything. Planned. Oh yeah, you've got everything. No, I've, I've everything got. Um, I've got this going on now. Um, I'm looking forward to making some more consortium expansions, and yeah. I'll give you a few details on those in a moment. Um, then I've got Era the Empowered, which I mentioned. Uh, it was actually the third game I released, but I never released a full rulebook for it. So I'm finishing off the rulebook now. Um, most of the writing is done. We're just finishing that off, and the mm-hmm. artwork is well underway. Um, okay. I've then got Era the Chosen, uh, which is a sort of a think Doctor Who horror meets Turok. Oh, okay. Um, and and we better explain Turok. Uh, Turok the video game, uh, and yes. and I am talking about Turok Dinosaur Hunter and Turok Two, not whatever that was on the Xbox. Um, and to explain to everybody that Turok and Turok the Dinosaur Hunter and Turok 2 were two games which were on the N64, which is the Nintendo console that pre... was it preceded the... The GameCube, um, which preceded the Wii. And uh, the Nintendo 64 followed after the Super Nintendo. Um, It was well... It was kind of enjoyed for the fact that... For two reasons. The first reason, it was a real kind of first first person shooter. Yeah. Because that game, game... became quite popular after GoldenEye was such a, such a success. Yeah. And secondly, it was also famous for the fact that it had a massive kind of cheat menu <laughs> that you could pretty much Beware enter in. Kind of hand. <laughs> yeah, you could like yeah, you could enter in kind of like a whole pile of different cheats to kind of make you invincible and vulnerable. Um, make the world all kind of rainbow coloured, make the world black and... I mean, there was a whole yeah. range of kind of different cheats. Um, and it also, I think on the other side of it, wasn't the Turok 2 needed an int- an expansion pack it for did. the Nintendo 64? No, 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 that was, the, that was Turok <coughs> 3, actually, that needed the expansion oh, right. pack. Turok 2 was good plain, I think, from memory. But yeah, Turok 3, you know, and, and then after... And the reason I specifically say Turok Dinosaur to Turok 2 and Turok 3 um, mm. as the sources, after that they threw away that continuity and continued onwards. And I don't know if that was maybe maybe it was bought off a claim or or something like that. Yeah. Um, because I know at the time Acclaim made comics. The, the company that made the game also made comics about it. Yeah, um, yeah. And they were following along some of those stories. So, um, you know... It, all in all, it was um, you know it was a, a a thing where you basically got pushed into another world. You know, you'd you'd run around with various weapons um, that you picked up off you know mostly the enemies, um, you know from from flamethrowers and so on, all the way up to the cerebral bore, which would quite literally bore into someone's head. <laughs> exactly. It was awesome. Um, <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. Uh, really, really, uh, really, really interesting first-person shooter game. And as you say, it was it was shortly after GoldenEye, and, and GoldenEye was very popular at the time. 
Yeah. yeah, and it was still the way they do it. They didn't mist on levels, basically. Yeah. The entire the game engine was like uh, so poor at drawing, having any kind of draw distance. Yep. There was constantly mist in front of you. Well, and, and that, yeah, but I mean that that just added to the spookiness of it because you had such <laughs> limited visibility, you couldn't see things miles away. <laughs> yeah, that's what they said at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. And then folk were like, oh, look, this one on the Xbox has got massive draw distance. We don't want that. We don't like actually seeing what's going on. Now you get, like, Horizon Zero Dawn, and yeah. you're like, oh, I is can, that the mountain range? I can mountain see someone picking there? their nose ten miles away, yeah. <laughs> exactly. You know, what are they doing in that village? He's just, uh, he's just, uh, he's, he's putting on his hat. Um... So you've got that game coming. I've got that game coming. <laughs> coming. I've got another card game coming that I'm working on. I've got uh, uh, Era Atlantis that I've mentioned. That's going to be coming at some point, maybe next year. I've got hmm. three or four others. I've got a sort of, um, you might say, a Matrix-inspired game, um, which uh, sort of a cyberpunk thing uh, where you can uh, sort of modify the universe as you go. Oh okay. Um I've got a uh I've got a uh JRPG inspired game. Oh, um cool, you know okay. I want to sort of I can't believe it's not Final Fantasy. Uh is is kind of my my um project brief for that. Um, All right, okay, I'm I'm cool. a big Final Fantasy fan, so you know I I I enjoy those games and I wanted to bring something to the role playing game uh sort of genre which gives you that kind of feel in a world that you can play. And I've got uh, I've got a full-on high fantasy game coming as well, which I invented the mechanics for three years ago and, and never got around to actually putting in a game. So I've got loads and loads and loads coming. Um, I, I have so much that I want to do. Um, they're all pretty much being worked on all at the same time. Um... And, uh, yeah, I, I've definitely got a lot more coming uh, in terms of new games, let alone the new expansions that we're doing for Era of the Consortium. Mm-hmm. Would you ever move away into a different genre? Would you... I mean, is are the, I mean you've done, obviously, the card game. Mm-hmm. Have you thought about taking the next step? Would there ever be a kind of a... A cardboard era consortium, kind of maybe four X game or worker placement game or you know toe to toe kind of strategy battle type game. Is that ever kind of crossed your mind? Is that funny? That you creep? should ask that question. <laughs> um, yes, I am working on it. Uh, I have something. I finally, I've had a lot of trouble finding the right three uh, D modeler. All right, okay. Uh, to make some miniatures for it. But um, miniatures which feature certain characters from the Consortium universe yeah. um, can very easily be used not only for role-playing, but also for a... Uh, now, what did my friend call it? He called it more of a, a sort of a tactics board game. Um, I, I visualize yeah. it as somewhat similar to Descent. Okay. Um, in that you would have miniatures which would have abilities and you would have to fight other miniatures which have other abilities in order to achieve a certain kind of mission. You know, mm-hmm. that might be assassination or it might be, uh, you know, move cargo from one place to another and so on and so mm-hmm. forth. I actually have 12 missions mi- mapped out. 
Um, and uh, yeah, I am 100% planning to do that. Uh, I have finally found the modeler who can do the job. All right. Um, and uh, I am expecting to talk a bit more about that in the near future. And in fact, you're the first person that I've told about that. So you heard it here first, folks. Well, that's because I guessed. <laughs> I mean, I got lucky. I mean, let's face it, it's not like I kind of like knew it. I kind of went through about three different genres. So, Ed, are you likely to do... A, you've done a card game. Are you likely to do... Um, are you likely to do maybe, say, worker placement? Are you likely to do this? Are you likely to do that? Are you likely to do... And you go, oh, yeah, one of them. <laughs> Definitely. There wasn't any skill involved. It was just pure... I, it was just kind of pure luck. I like creating universes. I like telling stories... Uh-huh. Um and I don't feel limited by genre. I mean, uh, you may or may not already know we actually already create comics as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that are based yeah. in our universe. Um, mm. uh, I actually have someone who works full time on creating comics. Um, so uh, you know, there's there's actually going to be a big step up in what we're offering in terms of comics. We're hoping over the next few months. Um. And uh, yeah, it's it's a very exciting time. Um, we're we're sort of trying to let more people know that we exist. That we're telling stories. That we're enabling the telling of stories, which are interesting, exciting, um, valuable. You know, worth listening to. I mean, how? I mean, is are you close to kind of getting to the point where you can say? Actually, let's think about doing this on a full-time basis, or is that still a while away? Or are you alternatively just saying, look, I like my job, and then I like coming home, and I like doing this stuff as well. Are you quite content to keep doing what you're doing? Or is the view to eventually be kind of not doing the day job and doing this on a kind of like a full-time-ish basis instead? I I would like to do this on a full-time-ish basis, I think that we are some years off from that yet. Um, the the sort of the average for beginning to achieve that is probably looking at seven to nine years for most people. Mm. And I'm about four years in since I launched my first game, so I've got I've got more time to do. Um, yeah, you know, there, there's more work to do. I think we're doing well. I think we're making good progress, but uh, we're not quite there yet. The dream is, yes, I would love to do this full-time. I'm not totally insane. Working 100-hour weeks does take its toll over time. Yeah, um, yeah I, I usually work a 40-hour working week, and I come home and I'll work an extra 40 to 60 hours uh, in mm. the evenings and weekends. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then I suppose you're set, uh, you know, some people would say you're serving your apprenticeship. <laughs> I mean, even, even the... I mean... Look at it this way, okay. Even the you know the guys that I know that have gone on and and done huge kind of Kickstarter numbers. I mean, the latest one was um, I'm going to say this you know publicly. Congratulations to Richard Keane who was on the show um, three four weeks back. Who was doing these Dinogenics uh, campaign? Yeah. It funded and it funded to the tune of 144 thousand dollars yeah so he's just completely blasted everything kind of out the water but it was the same with frank west and city of kings and what they got in what they got in common their game wasn't just something that they thought up six weeks ago and decided to put on kickstarter they'd both been kind of working on their stuff for you know two and a half 
three years, mm. you know, at least before they were kind of out there. And it was just, this is my one kind of game. You seem to be constantly busy, you're constantly active, you're always kind of constantly putting out the content on there, you're building up your kind of own universe, which just hats off, because there, there are going to be people that are not you, that are sitting in front of a computer, that have just deleted their opening sentence for their role-playing game for the 57th time, and are about to call it a night and go and watch the rerun of Bake Off on BBC iPlayer kind of thing, you know. Um, congratulations to the person that won. I'm not going to spoil it. It was Sophie. Um, <laughs> well, let's I'll, face I'll it. I'll be Proust- honest, I've never <laughs> yeah. seen Bake Off. Ever, I don't. I, you, you know, you probably don't. Television's probably a kind of a luxury uh, that you can't kind of afford. Really, much, you know, you know it's like everybody's is, going. Yeah. Oh, you 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 watch Stranger Things uh, too? It's like um, um, the only strange things that go on are what <laughs> I'm typing head. down in my keyboard. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. But no, I mean, um, I mean, for people, if people have kind of listened tonight and they want to jump in, I mean, um, well. One of the things that we do as part of our company is um, we actually run a sort of a a service, I would say, um, where we help people get their games from idea to publication. All right. Okay. Um, I've I've worked with three people successfully so far, and I've got about five or six other people who uh, sort of are en route um, in various stages. Now, what we do is we help you get onto Kickstarter and run a Kickstarter, mm-hmm. and we charge you the first chunk of profit from the Kickstarter. So, you get on Kickstarter, um, well, well, first we help you create your game, uh, we get you the artists and so on, um, you know, you, you will have to pay for the artwork, if you need any writing done, you'll have to pay for that. Those those will be you know those will be freelancers. They they need to be paid to do the work. Um, but beyond that, we then help you get on Kickstarter, um, and we help you run the Kickstarter in such a way that you can, uh, you know, make the maximum out of your book that you're able to. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a big part of that which is you and your involvement. Um, I've run three Kickstarters, uh, one of which had someone really really involved. And uh, that one brought in three thousand five hundred pounds uh, dollars. Sorry, that's all right. Um, and then what happens is we actually take uh, we we take what you've got, we print the books, we distribute the books, we make sure that all of the Kickstarter backers get what they were promised, and then uh, the next chunk of the profit goes to us based on how much work we've had to do to achieve that. That's pretty cool. Beyond that, there's sort of a profit split. Uh, you know, it varies, but um, you know, it varies based on how much work usually I have had to do uh-huh. um, to help get it there, and how much of my actual creative input there's been. It varies somewhere between seventy-five, twenty-five in in the original creator's favour, and fifty-fifty. That's pretty cool. Um, and then beyond that, you know, we are giving advice to people on how to sell stuff. Uh, we're letting people know stuff as we find it out. Uh, we offer the books on our own website and we get a few hits. Uh, and so on and so forth. So, you know, as I say, I've done it successfully three times with three people. Um, I'm working in particular with one other person right now who is in the playtest. 
phase mm-hmm. of his project, and okay. I I expect that um, certainly during the next two years that'll happen. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah, uh, that's uh, that's you know that's a project, and I've actually participated in the playtest. It's a brilliant game. I really enjoyed it. Um, really good setting. Uh, mechanics need some work, but that's exactly where you playtest. Absolutely, absolutely. So, if people want to get, um, if people want to pledge for Era of the Consortium, a Universe of Expansions two, um, what level? What's what's the best level they should think about going in? And you're not allowed to say the two hundred and ninety pound level. I wasn't going to actually. <laughs> um. Okay, so if you already own the rulebook or the rulebook primer, mm-hmm. um, because you know you're uh, you're an existing listener um, to the podcast, and uh, you know you you came along last time, then you mm. should hop on and you should look for uh, the stiletto unit pledge for ten pounds. Okay. Um, if you want the digital, or if you want some physical expansions, uh, you should look for the scimitar unit pledge for forty pounds. That'll give you three physical expansions of your choice and all of the digital stuff. Now, neither okay. of those include the rulebook, so you're not paying for anything twice if you already own the rulebook. Okay. Um, now, if you are, on the other hand, brand new to Era of the Consortium, hello, it's a great game. <laughs> Come and play it. Um, it's a brilliant pitch. Uh, that's what I thought. <laughs> um, there's a £25 pledge called Claymore okay. Unit. Uh, yeah. Which gives you all of the eight existing expansions, yeah. and the definitive edition rulebook, mm-hmm. and all of the new expansions for twenty five pounds. Uh, the RRP is fifty pounds for that. Okay. Um, so you're getting it roughly fifty percent. As I said, I really believe in in um, rewarding people for being the people who believe in the project on Kickstarter. Okay. Um, and then, if you are like me, you are more of a um, a paperback person, more of a book in your hands person. Uh, there is another forty pound pledge, which gives you just the core rulebook in paperback and all of the expansions, all eight, are, all eight that have already been made, and all three plus new ones. Oh, cool. Okay. So right now, that would be three new ones. If we begin to meet some more stretch goals, which, to be honest, I think we probably will. We've got um, 24 days to go as of as of recording this. Go. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I think that uh, there's a really good chance that we'll meet some more stretch goals. Um, and if we do, then you'll get four books or five books or six books uh, instead <laughs> of just three, uh, plus those eight, plus the paperback core rulebook. Cool. And those those are the tiers that I would look at if you are anything other than someone who really loves sci-fi, who really really wants to have the best of the best. And you know the 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 tier that you mentioned that is over two hundred pounds. Yeah. Um, again, it's you know the RRP is uh, two hundred and seventy pounds. You know you're still making a saving on that, um, and you're getting the definitive edition, which is oh it's. I know I'm biased, but it is a beautiful book. Absolutely beautiful book. I, I just... I sit there stroking it for hours on end. I don't want to know. 
Um, and the what are you doing? Your own time one. is far enough. This is a family show. We've just lost <laughs> a clean rating on iTunes after your shenanigans like that. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I only stroked the front cover with my hand. No, I don't want to talk. <laughs> just, you just, just drop it. Um, where can we find you on the internet? Webs, you, Mr. Jewett. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. Uh, you can find us on our website, www.shadesofvengeance.com. Or if you're one of those people who we were talking about earlier, who's interested in the uh, uh, in the uh, a little help to uh, make your RPG, try imaginerpg.com. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, and obviously you can find us on Kickstarter. Um, what I'll do is I'll give I'll give Richard a uh, a, a link. Yes, um, and I will make I will make sure it goes in the show notes. In fact, I'll make sure everything goes in the show notes so that we have notes to show. Are you getting any time to play anything yourself then? I am getting some time. I am at the moment playing an Era of the Empowered campaign. Uh, All right. I am playing as a character called Violet, who is a telekinetic, but a visceral telekinetic. So she actually has flight and super strength, despite actually being a telekinetic. Sounds like a brilliant way to spend a Saturday night. Uh, I think so. (laughs) (laughs) If you want to keep an eye on what we're up to, and I guess, yeah, there's a couple of things we have to say. Um, First of all, the board game create competition is closed, and our lucky winner who has been notified... um, and they've already gone ahead and they've set up their account and they're going to get their board game crate in December time. For everybody that entered, thank you very much for entering. For anybody that started listening because of that, then hello and thank you for listening as well. Um, bit of, I guess, humble bragging is that we, um, this potentially might have finished by the time this episode comes out, but we uh, were asked or we were honoured to be asked along to take part in Jamie Stegmeyer's um, kind of yearly fundraising event where this year he is basically, he's asked 10 different content creators, um, including ourselves, Tantrum House, um, to come along and basically re- basically um, um, recommend like a charity that they could support and what he's doing is he's auctioning off 10 signed copies of Charterstone which include kind of some customised meeples printed meeples and also include some customised components and uh, we have decided myself and Colin had a chat about this so the money that we raise is going to go towards Rachel House which is a children's hospice um, about 10-15 minutes away from where we live in Kinross um, last time I checked, uh, Jamie has said that he will basically match uh, the funding up to a value of $500. So currently our bid is at $500, so we're going to give $1,000 to um, a very, very well worthwhile cause. So um, it's to publicly just say thank you, Jamie Stegmaier, you wonderful man, for um, getting us involved and also allowing us to do some very, very good things to a very, very worthwhile cause indeed. Um other announcement as well is um, look out there'll be other competitions coming up in the next couple of months Uh, if you want to keep an eye on us otherwise then please go to Google search for We Are Not Wizards you'll find us on Twitter, you'll find us on Facebook, you'll find us on YouTube 
because our lovely um, podcast host Podbean automatically place our episodes on YouTube. If you want to find us directly on YouTube, search for We Are Not Wizards Tabletop Podcast. We do have our new customised URL, so feel free to use it. You can find us on Spreaker and Stitcher and Acast. You can find us on Podknife, who are a lovely little um, podcast aggregator who are new, they're out there and they're trying to grow, so please check out what they do. If you like what you've heard tonight, then please go to Apple Podcasts, because apparently every time that somebody subscribes to us on um, Apple Podcasts, an angel gets their wings. So isn't that lovely? Um... <laughs> If you like us even... I know it's, a, it's a, such a bad lie, but it's so nice. Um, but on the other side of it, if you fancy leaving us a review, um, remember, even though you're probably going to be tempted to, please don't leave, leave us a 10, because that'll make us big-headed. Don't leave us a 1, because that'll make us cry. Leave us somewhere in the middle, like a 5. Or a 1.5. Don't say that. <laughs> Don't say that. Don't tell her we leave 1.5. Okay, okay. Don't leave a 1.5. Leave a 1.6. Okay? Don't say that. Thanks very much for that. (laughs) Um, Leave a 5, because that's average. And we have been rather average. Now, I was going to say the person that hasn't been average tonight is Ed (laughs) Jowett, but after that comment, (laughs) average Ed. (laughs) I see how it is. Thanks for for coming on. All right, all right, all right. You can Uh, go and stroke your your Stroke your book somewhere. <laughs> Thanks very much. Thank you very much for having me. It's always a pleasure to speak to you, and it's so good to hear. Um, it's always good to hear a little bit more theory behind the what you're putting together. You know, it's always good to have a chat with you. And as soon as you do get that um, bigger board game together, I'm going to have to obviously get you back on to have a chat about that. Oh, I'll, I'll be in touch. Don't you worry. I know you will. Um, but no, just thanks thanks again for coming on. Um, it is always a pleasure to, to have you on the show. Um, there are only two more things to do. The first thing is to remember that we are many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, Ed? We are not wizards. We are scientists, Definitely. right? We are dev. Yeah, we can prove everything through uh, experiments and through theories. Logical explanation. <laughs> Absolutely, through practical experimentation. Um, yes. And the second thing is to say goodbye. So it's a goodbye from the rather wonderful, the rather fantastic, the extremely average, <laughs> the 1.4 that is Mr. Ed Javitt. Goodbye. <laughs> You're a 1.7. Uh, I gave you a 1.8 in the end. Okay, I'll give you a 1.9 then on a good day when the wind's blowing in the right direction. Good to know. That's out of two, right? <laughs> that could be, maybe. Might be. Um, <laughs> and it's a goodbye for me. Remember, stay safe. Roll tens. Um, check out check out what Ed's got on the go, because he's always got something on the go. He should always he should almost be called Ed something on the go, Jabbit. Um, as I say, we will put, be putting the links in the show notes so you can check out Eric and Sortium Part Dieu. Uh, But until the next time, goodbye. Say goodbye, Ed. Goodbye. That was an average goodbye at best. Until next time, bye.